The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. But to your point, like I, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about just the, this analogy of serving our customers or serving and, you know, our clients or what have you. And if we're walking around with like a full balloon all the time that's about to pop, it, it's just, it's not a good setup. And what I mean by that is like, if you do envision you have a balloon in your belly and like little puffs of air, regardless of how minor they are in isolation. If you are not being, you know, in a culture that is conducive to letting that out on occasion or releasing some of that air, or you are not creating that space for yourself and you're walking around with that full balloon and a pop could happen at any minute, it's really hard consistently to dig deep and to pull out that energy that it takes to, engage with someone at a, you know, a, in a helpful way or in a way that creates that space and that rapport. And that's really challenging. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I empower clients to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I help my clients achieve business outcomes by designing and delivering superior customer experiences. Hey, if you're new to the show, this is where we share practical tips, actionable insights, and the CX secret sauce to empower leaders to delight their customers. If after listening to today's show, you would like to learn more about how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at empoweredcx.com. Well, today's podcast episode is going to be a little bit different because we are going to step a little bit outside the traditional fair way of customer experience management and talk about something that has to do with employee experience directly, but indirectly affects customer experience management. And that has to do with our employees, our team members, our workforces, mental health and well-being. And to do that, I have brought an expert on the show, someone I've only gotten to know in the last year or so uh, through LinkedIn. And I, it's been my honor. I feel like she's been ministering to me individually. I feel like maybe she's got like a camera in my house looking at me saying, I'm writing this for you, Mark. Uh, but I, before we go any further, let me introduce Leah Marone to the show. Well, thank you, Mark. And it's, I mean, I'm excited to be here and it has, we've, we've had our relationship through LinkedIn for the past year or so. So it's so cool. We get to do this and we get to see each other live in action here. Um, but yeah, my name is Leah Marone. I'm a licensed psychotherapist by trade. So I have a private practice in Charlotte and I specialize in anxiety disorders and work a lot with mood disorders and grief and loss as well. Um, a sweet spot that I love and I'm very passionate about too is working with athletes on performance anxiety. Um, I myself was a division one basketball player and kind of a hot mess. So I, I have a very 
big passion um, for working with athletes and all the things that go along with that. Um, the other side of my profession, I'm still under the umbrella of mental health and wellness, is a lot of consulting work with nonprofits, with um, educational systems, with corporations on how to integrate wellness into their culture, how to prevent and to combat, you know, burnout, how to increase productivity, authentic collaboration, um, and just have that interwoven into their how they operate. Um, and so that can wear or that can come in a lot of different forms, whether it's workshops or speeches or leadership training or just working with with the leadership team. Um, I also write for Psychology Today and Newsweek. And as you can tell, I have to kind of monitor myself because I learn by doing. I like to say yes a lot. And so I have to kind of put my boundaries <laughs> boundaries <laughs> in check on occasion because I'm drawn anything wellness and advocating for mental health. Mm. Well, and thank you. And that's a, just this interesting background to have someone who, you know, was playing college athletics at the highest level. And I think you said basketball was, was your sport. Mm -hmm. So that that's really a grueling training and mental and physical. Um, and, and then you, you went from that into this world of psychology and mental health. Tell, tell us like what drove you to make that, you know, to attracted you to that profession? Yeah, that's a great question. So my mother actually was going through grad school um, when I was, I think, upper elementary. And I watched her and she's, she's a psychotherapist. So I watched her kind of going through this. I watched her um, and of course was kind of, you know, she would, she would drill my sister and me with questions and how do you feel and all this. And so we were kind of her little, her, um, you know, dry runs, if you will. But I mm -hmm. loved the diversity of things that she was able to do. And I, I think for me, I've always been drawn to people's stories, people's narratives, how they learned. And so I, I just, I love helping and kind of creating that space. But I think it was too, just the the variety of things and roles that you can have in this profession. You know, I've worked in ERs, I've worked internationally, I've worked in schools, I've worked in corporations, I've worked, you know, just on my own. And so I think just that variety piece was, was very, um, very just, it really drew me to that. And then also, of course, just helping, helping people and creating space when it's, when it's vulnerable and, and you can really make a difference with, with um, whatever form they bring to you in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And so we are we are kind of on the heels of I think President Biden announcing that COVID is officially no longer a global pandemic or whatever the announcement is. Um we're just coming but whatever however you want to calibrate that in your own world. Um I'm talking about the listeners now. Uh we we all have to admit that in some way shape or form we were all affected by it. Uh personally and professionally and we all had some level of anxiety around it, uh, and it affected all kinds of things from things like birth rates, death rates, uh, medical care, uh, you know, uh, what would they call it? The great, um, not the great recession, the great resignation, resignation. Thank mm -hmm. you. I always forget. Uh, and, and so on. So there's huge impacts on, on us personally, on us professionally. Um, and, and so, uh, it just probably amplified uh, issues that that existed prior in the workplace around mental health. Say more about that. What have you? What have you? How would you describe what I just said? 
Yeah. I mean, just, just to start off, I think we're all still experiencing on some level or another, just kind of the emotional hangover from it all. Um, And, and I think the interesting part about it was, you know, a lot of us, we were just operating, um, had our sources of validation and connection and structure, and a lot of times distraction, if you will. Um, And when everything kind of stopped, it created almost these gaps and this space. And a lot of people didn't necessarily know what to do with that. And that's when kind of those suppression bubbles, I like to refer to them as things that we've suppressed or distracted ourselves from or ignored or just kept plugging along, they surfaced, they surfaced. And a lot of that came in the forms of anxiety, a reassessment of values. How do I connect? What's my purpose? All this like, you know, kind of push to recalibrate, which for a lot of people was, intense. I mean, it was very intense. And so I think it's really, it's been a unique opportunity to reassess kind of where again, do I want to spend my time, find my purpose, you know, really seek validation and authenticity. And so we're finding that and it's been kind of a back and forth all over the place line, if you will, with just companies trying to figure that out, families trying to figure that out, relationships, where we want to live, how we want to operate. And so it's just been a one big interesting experiment, if you will, that has come in many different forms. And, but I think we've learned a lot and continue to. Yeah. So, so when you say we've learned a lot, what are, what have you noticed as the gaps, the hot spots, the problem areas for companies, schools um, that leaders should be aware of? Like, why is this still a big deal? And what, what do you want to be careful not to miss? Yeah, well, I think it's it's interesting because you know leaders and corporations and 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 you know are not necessarily responsible for the mental health and wellness of yeah. their employees, but I think what they are and need to be incredibly aware of is just the atmosphere and the culture and the resources that they are are basically creating um, or not creating for their teams and their staffs or their educators, whatever form or fashion we want to look at. And that's a lot of it, as we've read so many articles on, we've all preached is like that starts with leadership, right? And how they're modeling, what they're modeling, the boundaries that they're setting, you know, is this always a culture of push, 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 urgency? Do we allow time for recovery? And I think people are feeling again, that emotional, we felt so much of that and the stress and anxiety in different layers that we've never experienced during the pandemic. A lot of us are still healing from that, or it's coming in different forms. And so just that awareness piece for leaders to understand that or to cope with their own is essential rather than just kind of I mean, I do. I'm going to talk probably a few times about just this urgency culture, this being on all the time culture. And that's where we get that burnout. That's where we get that disconnect. And that's where, you know, I I see this whole movement of people just constantly consuming and feeling this pull to constantly produce. And we're not allowing ourselves enough time to process to connect with others authentically, even ourselves. And then that's when we're, we're just not feeling that peace and that contentment and it's leading to that burnout cycle over and over and over. And so there's a real risk to businesses that is hard to measure. I imagine it's hard to measure like the slow that, I mean, people talk about um, what is it? Quietly quitting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that I'm sure that it's even worse when people are quitting and people are resigning and moving on to other things, but what's the, like, I, I know you don't have, you, you know, you don't have to quantify it. Cause I said, I know it's, it could be hard. So, well, we lost 10% in revenues because people were not performing well. Um, they were overly anxious or depressed or lonely or whatever, but describe for us, like how a burned out workforce manifests itself and, um, and and the risks that leadership should be aware of, like when this happens. Mm -hmm. And so really how I think it, it manifests is, you know, especially if I take, you know, even company I'm currently working with, it's, there's not enough opportunities for checking in. There's not enough of opportunities for these one-to-ones. How are we doing? What can we collaborate on? Here's some feedback. I'm open to feedback. That kind of human characteristic and that human collaboration is lacking. And so a lot of times we have these fantastic tools that we're all working together on, you know, whether it's Slack, whether it's this, whether it's Asana, whether it's, you know, all these tools that we're working on and we're collaborating and we're still communicating, but we're missing those one-to-one times when we can read each other's nonverbals and we can ask, how are you doing? How are you coping? How's the workload? And I think a lot of leaders are are hesitant about that. Like, well, I don't want to ask truly how someone's doing, because what if they say something that scares me, or I don't know how to fix that or solve that. But it's that lack, I think, of humanity and checking in on each other. That That is, again, I think, diffusing why we want to be involved with something. The purpose behind joining a team, the purpose behind a relationship that we, you know, set out to to be a part of. And so when we miss that, we are missing kind of that time to refuel, that time to reconnect, that time to feel part of something. And we're churning and churning and churning. And a lot of times people that are, are doing that are also missing the boat on doing that in their own time. What do I need to recover? What do I need to do? What boundaries do I need to set? And so there's these pressures of always, you know, just being on and always just working and checking to see if this person's working or this person's sending an email and I got to match that. And so if leaders are not cognizant of the messages or the cultures that they're spitting out, it's going to filter through their teams. And that's when you do have this perpetual state of disconnect, this perpetual state of urgency and people will inevitably just, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And then a lot of times they'll feel the shame, they'll feel the disconnect, and then they're left with a decision to make. And I think that's when you also find teams start talking to each other and the negativity between those conversations can be incredibly contagious. So there's a lot that goes into it. And of course, every situation might be slightly different, but I've just found that if there's times to push, there's times to execute stamina, there's times to like work incredibly, incredibly hard and even, you know, outside of the working hours. But if leaders are not basically validating that and they're expecting that all the time, it's just not a setup that we're, we're conducive, you know, it's not conducive to who we are and how we're wired. Yeah. And you wrote, you wrote a uh, post this morning in LinkedIn uh, that asked the question and I love the way you worded it. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to pull it up cause I requoted it. Here it is. How do we create or sustain a company culture that integrates mental wellness and supports genuine connection without blurring boundaries and remaining focused on production? 
Mm -hmm. So say more about that. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, the real question, isn't it? And I think so much has to do with um, focusing on onboarding. So much has to do with, um, you know, what is our culture? What is our, what do we value? Are we actually standing by that? Is that jargon and kind of that value just again, interwoven in our meetings and how we do things because everybody can have a mission statement. Everyone can have these values, but if you're not living through them, you know, it's really just kind of a up did that check Mark. And so I think a lot of it is being more comfortable as leaders, which again, is going to go through the company of just asking, how's it going? What can I support you with? And if we come from that modality too, of creating space for each other and being a supporter rather than a fixer and a solver and a multi or, um, you know, just kind of managing each other all the time, I think that's, that's where boundaries aren't blurred. That's where that human characteristic is going to, and that authentic connection is really going to happen. And I think combat that disconnect and that burnout that happens where I'm just turning stuff out, but why, what's, where's the connection piece? Yeah. And, and so when you're speaking to schools, uh, businesses, organizations, and you're sharing this information, what are some of the ahas? What are some of the things, how, what reaction are you getting from, from people? Yeah. It, I mean, I'd like to think good ones. I think everyone is always pretty engaged because again, it's a topic, you know, just wellness in general. And when you start talking about these things, I think a lot of people can relate and even just normalizing some of these feelings of, you know, this is kind of what your body alerts you of. This is what your mind alerts you of. And this does not mean that you're not capable or productive or successful. You know, it's like getting people out of that all or nothing mentality a lot. And so I think just even bringing up topics around mental wellness uh, gets a lot of people's attention. And I think for me, it's not necessarily like, okay, let's just go through a list of coping skills because for the most part, we can Google that. And secondly, a lot of people know what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be. Not always, but I think a lot of it is my whole, my whole motivator for doing a lot of these workshops and sessions is to generate um, self-awareness and really help people understand like their behavior, their thought patterns, their lack of boundaries, why that is some things that they can do to gain that self-connection because we, a lot of us, and I'm included, I have to like be very deliberate with times that I set aside to check in with myself to process something, because as you know, there's to-do list after to-do list. There's things we can constantly be doing to stimulate ourselves and distract ourselves. But if we're not creating that time to process and to really understand and check in how we feel, what we think and, and what we're just learning, you know, that's a lot of times when gosh, anxiety and stress and all of those things are just going to fester and they're going to pour out when there's that opportunity. <laughs> like I tell people all the time, you know, it's, have you ever gone on vacation or you have a day where you're just like, ah, I get to just be me. I'm, I'm done. Like, this is so great. And you're like flooded all of a sudden with anxiety. Or you, you know, it's like the typical thing when you go to sleep, you're like, okay, that was a rough day. I'm going to go to sleep. And then your mind just explodes with all these thoughts. And that is such a good indicator when there's time for actually built in rest or even at sleep or vacation or what have you. And your mind automatically just goes to these little suppression bubbles or things that you haven't built out time for deliberately to think about. 
you can, you got to get their the mind has to get rid of them at some point and that's typically how it does it and it's just, it's just this wave it's this wave what you use this word twice now and i want to make sure our listeners have a when you say suppression bubble what is that yeah, yeah. and that is kind of a clinical term that i've kind of used with a lot of my clients but i refer to it as basically these these reactions, these um, things that we've experienced that probably generated or could generate some discomfort, right? And we need to maybe spend some more time with it, or we have to have a difficult conversation, or we need to marinate in that. And that's really uncomfortable. But a lot of times, rather than doing that, and sometimes we don't have the skills or the tools, we suppress it. We distract ourselves. We convince ourselves it's not a big deal. We use, you know, something to, you know, a substance to to help, you know, calm us down. And a lot of times it creates these suppression bubbles. They go down. They're little pockets that are still within us that are going to be released at some point, and they're going to figure out when that happens, rather than us creating that time. And and you know, if we set that time aside. We have a little more control in that. But if we don't, it's going to come flooding in, and that's really intense. Yeah. And so if I could connect some dots from, from what you've just said, um, is that this will, the so what really is this will affect employee performance. It'll affect retention rates. Mm-hmm. It, it'll affect referrals for other employees to refer other employees to your organization. It'll affect, you mentioned the environment, like creating a toxic environment uh, in the workforce because uh, people don't maybe don't have, they're not equipped. They don't have the coping skills. Um, and, and so um, there is a real business impact on this. And, and let me just check in there before I make the second part of the statement, but would you agree with that? I would. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the second part of it is um, I want to say about 25 years ago, there was a study by three Harvard professors. Art Schlesinger was one of them. And um, who later beca- went on to become the dean of, of the business school there. And, and, it, and the book was called The Value Profit Chain. It was another book called The Service Profit Chain. And essentially what it says, if you start with a, a vision, a leadership vision for where they want the organization to be, and then you, t- you connect that vision or the strategies that the leadership has saying, this is who we want to be. This is who we're going to serve. This is what we're going to do. And then you take the employees and you measure the employees' satisfaction, happiness, whatever you want, loyalty. There's a link between the strategy, the employees, the customer experience, and profitability or business outcomes. Mm-hmm. And that's called the, the service profit chain or the value profit chain. The original study, I think, was done in service industries. So, for example, a company like a national insurance company had has uh, offices all over the country. They studied just to keep it neutral and objective, they studied the same company, but those locations with higher employee satisfaction always outperformed the other locations in terms of customer experience, customer ratings, customer satisfaction ratings, and profitability. And it wasn't just uh, slight, it was significant, Mm -hmm. significantly better outcomes. So there you have it, the employee experience over time, it may not be today or tomorrow, but over time will always, you know, impact the customer experience and the customer experience. We know that the data is there. There's one study recently, CX leading companies outperformed laggards two to one. 
two to one in revenues. That was a McKenzie study. So there's a financial implication. I, this is, you know, I'm kind of looking at it from the business side and you, and you're looking at it from the, the psychotherapy side, but there, I just want to hit it home for if you're listening and you're a CX leader or a practitioner uh, or your business leader, there is a real impact here. And that's why this is so important. And I would argue that because of COVID, it just become amplified and come to the surface. Would you agree? I would. Yeah, I would. And I do. I think one encouraging thing is that it is being talked about more. And, you know, I'm even hearing with, you know, leaders and things like that, them using jargon or phrases that typically were just just clinical in nature. Like, you know, I would hear my colleagues talk about it, but I'm hearing these phrases and sometimes they're sometimes they're not accurate how they're presenting them. But that's not the point. It's more so that it's it's becoming more just part of communication and people it's, it is on their radar more, which is encouraging. Um, but to your point, like I, I, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about just the, this analogy of serving our customers or serving and, you know, our clients or what have you. And if we're walking around with like a full balloon all the time, that's about to pop. Yeah. It, it's just, it's not a good setup. And what I mean by that is like, if you do envision you have a balloon in your belly and like little puffs of air, regardless of how minor they are in isolation. If you are not being, you know, in a culture that is conducive to letting that out on occasion or releasing some of that air, or you are not creating that space for yourself and you're walking around with that full balloon and a pop could happen at any minute, it's really hard consistently to dig deep and to pull out that energy that it takes to, engage with someone at a, you know, a, in a helpful way or in a way that creates that space and that rapport. And that's really challenging as a parent, as a colleague, as, you know, someone that's serving other people. And so again, I think that, you know, if we use that analogy, and if you are our leader and you're listening, it's like, are we nurturing and refueling a culture that is honoring kind of the hard work that we put in and honoring and validating how people then are recovering and how are we making space for that at work? Are we encouraging that at home? Are we, you know, really focusing in on transitions? Are we focusing in on boundaries? What am I modeling? Like those are such important questions that need to be answered. Yeah. And, um, and there's two areas that I want to ask you. I want to ask you about signs and remedies and I'll, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but I, I think I, which when I'm listening to you, I'm hearing about really it's it's an ecosystem. Like it's it's not just leadership, it's middle management, it's the employee too. The employee has some responsibility for communicating that they've got some kind of an issue going on, mm -hmm. right? But we have to equip and empower them with the tools to communicate and create a safe environment for them to share. And also not just a safe environment, but a mechanism. Like if you never meet with them, how can they, how can they express this? If you meet with them only in a group setting and a business meeting. So, you know, how critical is it to give the employees the tools and create this environment so that you're getting this circular, this loop feedback loop. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you said it, it's incredibly important. And, and if you think about it, like, it's not only for the employee collecting data on themselves of like, wow, I come to these one-to-ones and I'm just always overwhelmed or I'm always this, you know, and kind of them gaining that self-awareness and that data collection. Um, but it's it's also for 
for the other team members they're interacting with. It's for the leaders. And, and again, it's just kind of this supportive. I liked how you, you use the word ecosystem. Um, if we're not having those one-to-ones, if we're not having those check-ins, if we're not asking questions and, and maintaining curiosity, that's when people are quiet quitting. That's when people are falling behind in the radar. You know, that's, and again, as leaders, it's not your, your responsibility to be the therapist. It's not your responsibility to necessarily know exactly what to do. It is your responsibility, though, to hopefully create that space where people do feel comfortable coming to you with challenges that they're feeling professionally or saying like, hey, I'm noticing this about myself and I'm noting a, noticing a disconnect and I'm really trying to work on this. And as leaders, sometimes we fear that, wow, if somebody brings up mental health or if somebody brings up this, they're just they're not going to be productive at all. Like they, what if this is an excuse and they're hiding behind this, you know, everyone's got this now, and then I'm going to lose my team. And it's like, that's not necessarily the case, but when people feel open, because people want to please, people want to work as hard. I think as uh, people are hard workers, I think when they have a balloon that's conducive to that, Mm. but those one-to-ones, those, those feedback cycles and having there's a lot of different avenues to do that. And I think where I, a lot of times really coach leaders on is how do you create that space and create it effectively so that you're not taking false ownership of things. You're not setting yourself up to be the solver and the fixer. You're motivating and empowering and building confidence in your team members, which is also going to help with that connectivity and prevent some of that burnout. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, And as we said before, there's definite business implications for doing that. And I think, I think one of the things that um, is a pivot for people who have been traditionally trained in leadership is if you're sitting there in the C-suite, you're used to looking at data and reports and you're measured on, if you're publicly traded, you know, earnings, revenue, Mm -hmm. uh, things like net interest margin and, uh, you know, income ratios and liquidity ratios, depending on what kind of business you're in and sales run off, run off and budgets and all these things. And, um, and you're pouring into this and you're learning how you think you can push and pull levers to make those numbers increase. And traditionally, maybe it has been pouring money, more money into marketing or hiring more salespeople. We're in a new world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the skill set for leaders has to include these people skills, right? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, you're absolutely right. And I do. I know I've referred to this a lot. And this is actually you know, something I'm writing about is just like creating that space, right? And, and I think as traditional leaders, and even in the past, it was kind of, there was this pressure, I think, for leaders to just know exactly what to say, have all the answers, be able to put out the fires. And, you know, that creates a little bit of that divide, I think, when we when we operate that way. And so as leaders now, I think the, mod, the new modern leader knows how to remain curious, knows how to empower, knows how to ask those questions that come from a supportive angle, rather than like, well, I better know this because I'm the boss. But if you think of it in terms of, no, I'm here to give my my team member some reps. I'm here to encourage and fuel that confidence building. Wow. I mean, that right there, it's, it's not only diffusing any type of dependency 
and and kind of like, oh, I better run this through, you know, I better, better run this through Mark. I don't want to dare think about this my, on my own. That's, we want to get rid of that as leaders. And what that does too is that is also combating just mental health. Because as a lot of times what fuels kind of our feelings of disconnect, feelings of isolation, not feeling connected, imposter syndrome, anxiety, all the things is when we're having conversations with people and we walk away feeling disempowered, <laughs> we walk away not feeling listened to, when we walk away feeling like, and it's just kind of fueling these false narratives we're creating. So these casual one-to-ones where it's kind of like, what'd you do over the weekend? What'd you do this? People think, ah, it's a waste of time, but it's not. It's actually building connectivity and that's essential for combating that burnout. Mm. So many gems here. I want to pull that one out, pull on that string a little bit. Um, these one-on-ones, uh, and nowadays, sometimes they, they have to be over Zoom or, or meeting, you know, meeting one of these other co- video conferencing. But if they're in the hall, wherever they are, they, they are even more important than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about signs. So if you are, let's start with the leader. If you are a leader what signs might there be to tip you off that you have a or multiple team members who are in need of some sort of help from a mental health or wellness standpoint that, um, I don't know, maybe they're a little more subtle, um, not quite as obvious. There's just something we're not trained to look for. Yeah. What are some of the signs? Yeah, that, I mean, that is, that's a great question. And you're right. Some of the subtle signs and not kind of someone coming into your office and just kind of and sharing all of this, because that doesn't tend to happen. Sometimes it does if you have a good rapport. But I think a lot of it is just if you do notice just any type of disengagement that just keep, kind of seems a little sudden, you know, someone was kind of replying to emails all the time and really kind of a go-getter and, you know, kind of always present. And, and a lot of times maybe just aim to please all the time, which, you know, and then you kind of see that fall off or you kind of just are like, where's so-and-so or, oh, there, you know, this isn't happening. And you just notice a shift. And that's a big indicator for a good check-in, like just, how are things going? You know, and, and it's just like, I've noticed this, or how do you feel like your workload's going and things like that. Any kind of shift in that way, I think is essential. And in order for you to have that type of data, or even to be able to notice that is those one-to-ones and really understanding and knowing your team. Right. And that takes time and it's an investment, but then you'll, you can actually be trusted. And I think you can, it can be a productive conversation when you do check in and say, Hey, I've noticed this. I just wanted to check in on you. Yeah. That that will, you know, be productive then if you've done the yes. live work. Excellent, excellent advice. A disengagement and just trying to make it make a place uh, proactively. Mm-hmm. Um, now from an employee standpoint, what are some of the signs that you may and I know you alluded to them, but let's just call them out again that you may not be noticing that you uh need some some help and and uh need some direction. Right, right. I think a big one is just you you notice this flatness. You notice that, you know, things that maybe motivated you, things that maybe brought joy, things that were exciting, things that, you know, were to- more tolerable, they're not anymore. And it's just it it seems like things take a lot more energy. Um, and, and really most things are, yeah, man, I got to dig deep for this. That's a really good indicator that you're running on E or that you have a full balloon, right? And, and your boundaries aren't, aren't great. 
Um, another thing too is resentment. Uh, that's the telltale sign of you are harboring resentment, whether it's in your relationship, whether it's from your work, whether it's from your, whatever it may be, that is a great indicator that your boundaries or some need or some value that you have is not being honored. And that's our responsibility. And it, it's very tricky. And a lot of times people, we try to avoid it if we're not confrontational or we don't like it, or we, we don't ever take the time to really look within but that's another great indicator. Resent if resentment equals lack of boundaries. Um, I think another one too, and I know I find this in myself. If I'm just you know share that, I notice my patience level. Mm. My patience level, you know, and what I do requires a lot of patience. And I notice if I am using all of that up during my professional day, and then I am on E when I'm working, you know, being a mom and a coach and all the other things I'm doing outside of work, and I notice that I'm just, it's just taking a lot more energy and my patience level is not where it needs to be. That's a really great indicator for me. Like, okay, something's got to give, you need to refuel in a little bit or have a mindset shift, or this has been going on a little bit. What is your body and mind trying to tell you? Um, I think remembering that our bodies and our minds are on our side, right? And so if we're not sleeping, if we're using food as a distraction or substances as a distraction, if we're using these things or we're achy and pain, you know, having aches and pains in other ways, looking at these things is like, signals that your mind and body are trying to give you that something's out of whack, something's not being nurtured or fulfilled or something's being neglected. And a lot of us just ignore a lot of those signs and keep plugging away or add band-aids to the mix rather than really taking a moment to analyze, what do I need to not do or do that's really, you know, sabotaging me? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and even though we keep, keep plugging away and the problem's still there. Absolutely. And that's why those suppression bubbles happen. <laughs> <laughs> we have so much folks to learn with Leah on the show here. Um, so flatness, uh, resentment, patience level, those are some of the signs that you can, yeah. mm -hmm. you can be aware. Oh, wow. One thing that occurred to me, Leah, um, if, I'm, if I'm the employee listening to this and I need help, um, how do I start a conversation with my manager about this. I've now, to your point, become aware. What's yeah. a good way to approach management? Yes, that is a great question. And of course, some managers are more approachable than others and you know all of that, but a really great framework. And I know many of you've heard this and you maybe use it in your relationships or your, you know, with your partners, but those I statements, mm. right? So if I came to you, Mark, and you were my manager and I said, you know, I've noticed this about myself and something that I'm really trying to work on is transitioning from work to home. Or I've noticed that I've been really, you know, feeling this or not feeling engaged in this. And something I'm really trying to work on is maybe to advocate for myself or something I'm going to try to work on is to speak up in meetings, or I'm going to try to work on this. And so voicing this goal that you have based on some data that you've collected about yourself it's very hard then for people to get defensive. It's very mm -hmm. hard then for people to necessarily challenge because it's your data, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you're also phrasing it in a way that you're, you're coming from an empowering mindset for yourself. I'm going to work on this. This is something that my I've realized that I need to do. This is something that I need to speak up on. I've noticed that when I work you know, 60 plus hours a week, my weekends are spent doing this and then I'm not recharged. So I'm really trying to work on this. And a lot of times managers, it'll either, you know, if that's kind of the, the culture of where you're working, it'll, something will ding for them. And they might be like, huh, I might need to reflect on that myself. But it also, I think, is 
it radiates confidence. It radiates self-awareness and it radiates ownership. You know, when we come to our managers and we just vent and we complain and we do this repeatedly and then managers try to fix and solve and do all that, which isn't the right, you know, framework either. It's not doing anything. People have to have their own recipe with things. People have to have their own ingredients with things. And a lot of times using those I statements um, is a great way, I think, to come approach something with confidence, approach something with somewhat of a plan. And it's really hard to kind of poke holes in that when you're owning it. Love that. I love that answer. And the idea of not putting someone on the defensive, but owning it using I statements, um, really important. And hopefully as a, as a manager or leader, you know, that's an invitation for you to be curious um, and say, you know, what support can I provide you? What do you need from me? What would make life better? And I just want to tie this, make another connection here back to the business side of things. Is when we talk about customer experience, when we talk about a great employee experience or EX, as we say, the purpose of that is to improve employee engagement, right? And when we say employee engagement, what we're talking about is this idea of discretionary effort, like above and beyond just showing up, punching a clock and leaving, mm-hmm. but employees feel a sense of, hey, I want to make a difference, mm-hmm. right? And so you're, I keep thinking about that word flatlining, what you, know, what you said. The reason the employee engagement is important is because we want the people that we serve, and most would just use the word customers, it could be patients, it could be guests, mm-hmm. to feel special, to feel you personalize the experience and you've gone on, out of your way to make them feel like you brought, you've enriched their lives. And I can't help but think of this illustration of this young girl. Those of, those of you in the CX world know this story, um, who went with her parents on a vacation to the Ritz Carlton Hotel. And she uh, had this little doll that was her favorite doll, took it everywhere she went. And all the, you know, the people who, who served at the hotel were familiar with her and her little doll. She took it to the lounge chairs and the pool and everything. And she left it at the Ritz. And, um, you know, people thought she'd be crying the whole way home and they were envisioning, you know, her not being able to sleep and distraught and everything. The folks from the Ritz, talk about discretionary effort and wowing. They, they took this doll, they sent over these photographs of the doll on a lounge chair with sunglasses, cucumbers on her eyes a hat, a floppy hat, and on the lounge chair, sunbathing. And they said, she's just had her massage. She spent the full day at the spa. We're taking good care of her and we're sending her home tomorrow. And they put her in a package and they sent it home. Mm. So, you know, what kind of memories does that create? What kind of word of mouth Mm -hmm. uh, does that create that would not happen if they were flatlining? Right. Because mm-hmm. the innovation, the creativity is all gone. Right. Absolutely. Oh, I love that story. And you're so right. Like it to be able to tap into that, that thought process, that creativity, you have to have space for that. Right. And if all your space and all your energy is allotted for and constantly, you know, you're expected to produce at a level 10 all the time, there's not, there's not any room for that. 
You know, I mean, I'm, I know we've all experienced that where we've maybe left a conversation and then we maybe didn't circle back or we're like, why didn't I ask about that? Or why I, gosh, I probably was pretty insensitive to that where normally I would have asked about that. But if you think about where your battery's at at that level, what you're able to tap into, what you're not, whether it's patience or attention or all of that, those are such good indicators that you're at capacity all the time. And, and um, I love that. I think that's a great analogy for that. And, and you're right in order to produce and be there and create that experience and that authenticity and welcomeness and all the things that come along with serving people and customers, you also have to be serving yourself. You also have to be taking care of those basics and really, you know, learning, you know, what it does take to refuel you and re- refuel your people. It's the oxygen mask, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, can you just share? And we're going to land the plane here in, in a second. But can you just share, like, a typical, maybe, maybe some success story or a remedy you suggested for an organization you spoke to that you said, you know, that that's going to definitely help them. This is this is how this organization needs to approach the whole idea of mental wellness in their organization differently. Like where would a leader start? What are some, you know, some ways that you've gone in and said, here's, here's a, sort of a, a path for you to, to move in the right direction. Right. That is, I wit, and you know what, that's a fantastic question. I wish I had a like direct formula for that, but yeah. just being a clinician and the one that, you know, of course I'm going to come with a lot of questions. And for me, when I work with an organization or a team or a group of educators or a basketball team, whoever it is, I have to make an assessment, right? I have to ask these questions. I have to come with curiosity. I have to create that space. And so a lot of times, you know, I I will walk into an organization or a company and it's like, wow, there's a lot of blatant signs like this, 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 and this. But sometimes, you know, I'm working with a, a, a company right now who really has a lot of the boxes checked and it's great and it's encouraging, but it's one of those where it's like, I need to simmer in here for a while. I need to ask some questions. And then it's almost like we go to then, what can we do? What can we educate on? What are some things that we can put into place? So there's really not an exact formula, but I think a lot of it is, gosh, it's amazing when you just go in and start having these conversations with leaders, because again, many of them don't create that space for themselves because they have the goals to meet the data, just all these things, which rightfully so, but just sitting down and talking about some of these things and having them reflect on how they're caring for themselves and and what they're symbolizing and modeling for their, for their, you know, other leaders and just the employees is so, so effective, which is that step. Mm. It's it's amazing to just open that mindset into like, wow, like, let me gain some self-awareness here. And let me see how I really, as a leader, I have a lot of power, not necessarily even with my words, but just my timing with things, how I'm wording things, how I'm carrying myself, you know, you know, all of those things. I think that's essential to explore. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing. I have one last question for you. And this, I often ask my guests, it's a reflective question. And we didn't, by the way, if you're listening, we didn't rehearse any of these. We didn't, oftentimes I'll, I'll, I'll have some questions in advance that either me or the guest wants to ask. We didn't do any of that. We just, we're talking here. So I, I, I'm not, I'm, you have no idea what I'm about to ask you, I don't. which, which, <laughs> which is what advice would you give to yourself 20 years ago, your 20 year ago self, Leah? Ooh. Okay. So the first thing that popped in my mind is, I'm still a recovering perfectionist. Hmm. 
So back then I was more so of one, but I think my biggest, the best advice I'd give myself is to diffuse, continue to try to diffuse my inner pleaser. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'm very good at reading a room. I'm very good at looking five steps ahead, accommodating, nurturing, which I think are all great things. But if I don't keep those in check, I lose myself, right? And I sometimes will neglect or not advocate or speak up. And I'll just kind of say, oh, I'll deal with that. I'll figure that out. And so I think it'd be like diffuse my pleaser, Mm -hmm. really, you know, speak up not just when I'm incredibly passionate about it, but even the little things like take those as opportunities to, to learn more about myself and to just um, create that space for myself. Cause I didn't do much of that in my twenties. Mm. Well, there's some people listening who just had an aha moment who can resonate with what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, I just want to thank you so much. Um, before we sign off, um, what is the best way if somebody wanted to get a hold of you? And by the way, if you are a business leader, you need to reach out to this lady because you, if you are listening, you know how good she is. Um, she is wise and can help you improve employee mental health and wellness, improve the employee experience, which will ultimately improve the customer experience, which will get you the business outcomes you're looking for. But it all has to start there. And I can think of no one better than Leah. Leah, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, well, thank you for that. Number one, that was so nice. Um, yeah, I'm happy. I'm open to conversations. And the best way to reach me is my email, which is leah at leahmarone.com. Or yeah, just just uh, DM me on LinkedIn. Um, that I'm more than happy to even just have a just a quick combo and a processing session. So more than happy to do that. Excellent. Leah, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.